0: Here we are, we're in the Word today, and uh, I'm I'm titling this sermon, No Way, No Way. So if you take those little notes, you can title it, No Way. And I'm sure we've all had this feeling, right, where we just believe, and it's sort of at at a a deep, visceral level, like in in our bones, we have this feeling that there's just no way that the thing we want, the thing we desire, or the way things should be, there's just no way it's going to happen, right? Have you had that sense about you? I mean, e- even at this, uh, we're talking about uh, this in regards to sort of the trajectory of America and the society, Tom being from Europe, you know, Europeans have been around longer than us, and so they've watched trajectories happen, and they, you, know, you can see it, and, and it just feels like It's, it's, there's no way we can avoid sort of this slow motion train wreck the American way. And, and, And it's just not gonna go well. It feels like there's no way this could, we could turn and avoid this collision that's coming with just the brute facts of history that all societies and civilizations go like this and then it's a steep decline. You feel that? And it just feels more now than ever. I don't know, we were just talking about that. I was sort of lamenting that. I was kind of saying, no way. Maybe you feel that with regard to your job. No, there's no way I can stay in this job. There's no way I can be happy in this job. There's no way I can feel fulfillment in this job. There's just no way. Maybe you have that in a relationship. There's just no way this relationship will work out. There's no way this marriage can survive. There's no way I can be happy with this person. Maybe, maybe you feel this with just the state of the church generally, particularly in this city. There's will survive in this city, in this atmosphere, in this environment, with this amount of apathy to the things of God. There's no way. Maybe, maybe you think of this, maybe you have an addiction. I mean, we you to a lot of things and you think in your mind, there's no way I'll ever be able to break this addiction. There's just no way. This thing owns me and it'll own me forever. There's no way I could ever get out of it. Maybe you say, there's no way I can be happy again. Happiness is so far from me. I'm so many steps away. There's no way I'll ever get back to where I was when I was younger. There's no way I'll ever get beyond this. Or there's no way I'll escape my DNA and my genetic and, and, and my mom's like this or my dad's like this and I'm just doing this. There's no way it will be different for me. There's no way. You feel that? I mean, I feel this. I mean, the number of times I've said there's no way, I cannot count. And it feels today, day and age. I don't know if it's the pandemic. I don't. I don't know what it is. It just feels like we say no way way more often. Does anybody else feel that? Like it just feels like the sort of hopelessness and the despair, the no ways, of, feel more true in our mind than they have before. And, and I sense this in my own heart. I sense this in other Christians that I've talked to, together with a lot of you. And then I see it in all of my non-church, generally in society, like there's a lot more no way happening in our world. And I think this is why there's a mental health epidemic, suicide rates are higher than ever because these things that once we thought there was a way, now we say there's no way. Like it just feels that. I don't know if I'm the only one that senses it. So we've all said it. We've all said no way. Um, and as I was thinking about this, there's um, something happened to me. But but first, I want to say, did you guys you heard the story about a couple weeks ago? Yeah, uh, let's. I mean, this is a Seattle company, so we don't go hard at Alaska Airlines. But a door flew open or something, and some stuff flew out, and a, and an iPhone flew out. You, you hear that story? Sixteen hundred. 16,000 foot drop and landed, and apparently, I don't know if somebody just did find my phone after they got off the plane, and they found their phone, and it worked, it still worked. Did you guys hear that story? Now, when I heard that, I said to myself, no way, no way, and then a funny thing happened this week. No, I wasn't flying on Alaska Airlines, I was in the, in the library. At at Seattle Pacific University, I do a lot of sermon prep over there. I was in the library, and I was on the third floor. And I'm running to get some lunch. And so I swing my jacket on as I'm walking down the first few steps of the third floor. And it goes third floor, second floor, in case you didn't understand how this works, first floor. And then there's a basement, and there's a spiral staircase. So show that spiral staircase. I took a picture of it. So this is from the third floor, and so it's a four four-story drop to the basement. And I'm i throwing my jacket on, and my iPhone flies out, and I heard it hit a stair, ding. And I was like, "What is that?" And then I looked down, and I watched almost like in slow motion, my iPhone drop four stories, <clears throat> and it's at the bottom of that picture is is just um, that's concrete. <laughs> With no padding and just a little bit of that, you know, super cheap carpet. So I said, going to have to get a new iPhone. And I walk down all four flights, and I get to the bottom. I was thinking to myself, what kind of a week is this? I had some other stuff going on, too. And I said, well, of course. Of course this just happened. And I get to the bottom, and I pick up my phone, and I... Pull it up and I click it. Sure enough, face recognition opens up. My phone is working. And audibly in a perfectly quiet library, no freaking way. (laughs) That's what I said. No freaking way. Luckily, there's nobody at the library anymore, because everyone's hopeless, so they don't even study. But um I said, no freaking way. It worked. Everything works. Or my uh, camera on the back side of the phone don't worry my selfie side of the phone still works so I always now it's just always selfie with you guys okay so that's because my phone doesn't work but I'm not getting a new phone because I want to tell the story as many times as times possible because in that moment I said there's no freaking way and yet there's a way and that's what Jesus is gonna tell his followers today his disciples at the beginning of what's known as this farewell speech, he's going to give them a promise and he's going to say, how are we going to go where you, you can go? There's no way. There's no friggin' way. And he's going to say, yes. Yes way. He's going to say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is a way. There's a way for everything and, his, and the way, his name is Jesus. In fact, did you know early christians that's how they were referred to as they were the people of the way only later did they start calling christians or little christs as a derogatory term because people were one of them oh you're just trying to be like that jesus you're like little christs and they're like yeah that's probably a good way to say it too so feel free to call us christians so they're people of the way jesus is the way no freaking way jesus says yes way and so let's look at that together, because it's applicable, not just to the disciples then, but to us today. When we think there's no way, Jesus says, I am the way. He doesn't say there is a way, he says, I am the way. So let's read it together. I'm going to start back in uh, chapter 3, which Ryan preached on last week, and just read you the introduction to this farewell discourse. This discourse is going to go for several chapters, all the way to chapter 17, where Jesus is going to pray for them. And this is in the upper room at the Last Supper, where Jesus institutes communion in the Lord's Supper. He also gives this um, speech. And so he's going to give them some really important words, okay? And so let's read it the beginning of this together. Remember last week, Peter, the boldest of the disciples, he doesn't like this idea that Jesus has to go away. Jesus corrects him. So let me read this starting in 1336. It says this, uh, Lord, Simon Peter said to Jesus, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I- I- I'll even lay my life down for you. Jesus will you lay down your life for me? Jesus is, of course, going to lay his life down for Peter. He says, truly, I tell you, you're pretty bold now, but a rooster will crow, or sorry, uh, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And, and, and Ryan talked about this last week. Praise, praise God for your roosters that wake you up, okay? So that's where we're coming out of. This all, where are you going? And, and I want to follow. And you can't follow me now, but you can follow me then. And Jesus continues. He says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I have told you. I am going to... A way to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may also be. You know the way to where I'm going. Right? You guys know the way, right? So then old King Thomas here. Lord, Thomas said, We don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you also know my Father. For now, From now on, you do know him and have Him." So then Philip says, Lord, what's us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? That I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father. Otherwise, like if you're struggling to believe that just by me telling you that, Jesus says, then believe because of the works themselves. So Jesus has said this before. He says he's been saying, Me and the Father are one. I am the Father. Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And the F- God the Father has sent God the Son in a way that the Jewish people had never experienced himself. That's Jesus, God the Son. But they are one and the same. So when the Son speaks, the Father speaks. And when the Son does something, it's the Father doing something. And, 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 and Jesus has also said, like, if that's hard for you to believe, because that is hard, to just take on your word, believe the works that I do, that will help you believe that my words are true. So that's what he said. He said, I've been telling you guys this from the beginning. Me and the Father are And I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I'm going to bring you to where I am. Okay. So these, now, what, what I got, or maybe I never knew, because I'd always remembered the thing about Jesus is going to, play, t- to prepare a room for me, and I'd always remembered Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I'd sort of memorized those two verses, but I forgot that they're actually together. Isn't that cool? Is else like, oh, those are together? You sort of memorize them separately? You know, still, four years, you think I would have figured that out, but I got really excited. That makes sense. There's the what, and then there's the how. Is, Jesus is going to prepare a place for you. The, the how you get to that place is, he's the way. Okay. So, to, to unpack both of those huge, important, famous statements of Jesus, we have to look at the context in which he says them, because we also tend to take really cool statements of Jesus out of context and miss maybe why he said them. So look at verse 14.1 says this, do not your heart be troubled, believe in God, believe all in me, because I am, fa- I am God. So when he says believe in God, believe in the Father, and also believe in me, because me and the Father are one. But why do we need to do that? Because he says, do not let your heart be troubled. This is so important. Because, in the context of these declarations about remember, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and remember, I'm the way, the whole reason he tells them this is because he knows that they will be troubled. So, so we must understand the promises in light of Jesus not wanting us to be troubled. And equally important, that we have agency over our troubled state. This is good news. We are not just wholly stuck, stuck in our troubledness. We're not stuck. So how are you unstuck? Look at this uh, term. Do not let your heart be troubled. Okay, so the actual verb form, and this is in English we should go with this, but uh, the verb form is what's called a passive imperative. So an imperative is a command. So it just sort of pops off the screen. Jesus is making a command. So Troubled is a command. But the passive nature of it is really, really important. What he's saying is, yes, you will be troubled. Out of your control. Troubledness just happens to you. Isn't that good to know? You find yourself troubled, that's something that's happened to you. Like I think a lot of us who with troubledness say, like, "I, I wish I wouldn't. Make myself so troubled, it's passive, it's happening to you. So the imperative that he's making is, don't let yourself continue to be troubled unnecessarily. He's saying, I have some things that when you meditate on them and think about these promises, and these true um, preparations that I'm making, and the trueness of as the way, when you think about these things your troubledness to subside, and the command is, use these promises to subside your troubledness. Yes, it will happen. All of us will be troubled in one way or another, but you have agency to not allow yourself to just be stuck in that state. I know you're troubled. It's okay. But you can do something about it. So, now this is happening before Jesus is arrested, before Jesus is put in a kangaroo court, before Jesus is convicted, before Jesus is hung from a cross. So Jesus knows troubles come in their way. There's nothing they can do to not feel troubled. And he says, and you do, just remember, these are the plans that I have for you. He knows that today. Jesus could have but didn't take away all the sin and brokenness of this world, even after the resurrection, he's allowed to live in this state and he knows that there will be trouble. He knows that we will struggle. But he says, when you're troubled, struggling, when you're despairing, when you're depressed, when you have anxiety, remember this rather than just staying just as you are. So what is the thing that you remember? Okay. Well, first... I want to break down this, the name of troubledness. In Acts 15, 24, I think we're going to throw it on the screen, the same word for troubled is used. And it says this, since we have, this is in the book about the beginning of the Jesus movement, after the Gospels. It says, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unseen So I just So I wanted to bring this up because when you find your your mind unsettled, that's I think what Jesus is talking about. An unsettled mind can take several forms for different people with different personality types, with different brains. So, I think this covers a wide array of of people and condition. Okay, um, now your your mind might get more in different ways, but Jesus is. Opening up for whoever is experiencing an unsettled mind, if you remember these things that I'm about to tell you, you can unscramble and resettle to some degree truths your mind. Great news. And the truths that resettle an unsettled mind are one, I am going to the Father and I will be interceding for you with the Father. Truth two, I am preparing a place for you in the Father's home. Truth three, I will return to bring you to that place one day. And truth four, and we'll see this as we go through the farewell discourse, the farewell speech. We'll probably get to this next week. He says, "Only well, am I going away. While I'm away, I am going to send you the Paraclete." which is a Greek word for the helper, the one who will come aside. Think of a paralegal, the paraclete, the helper that will come alongside you. That's my spirit. I'm sending God the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father, to be with you in all the ways that you need during that time. And that's the way it's been for the last 2,000 years. But he gives you through the Spirit everything you need to get through these unsettled periods. So when you're experiencing a troubled mind, you push back and resettle your mind, emotions, and your will by rehearsing and meditating upon these truths. This is why Jesus gives us these truths. They're they're great in their own right, but remember how important they are for the troubled mind. So if you're troubled, if your mind is unsettled, if you feel hopeless, if you're saying no friggin' way, these are the things to think about. Cuz Jesus said, these are the things to think about when you're trying. Okay? So what are the things? First practice. I'm going to the Father and I'm going to prepare a place for you. What does it say in the text? Verse 2, 14:2. Two. In my Father's house are many rooms. We're not so would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come to myself. So where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Okay. Now, what this is telling us to do when we are troubled, when we're saying there's no way, is to think about Heaven to think about God's dwelling place and to think about, I mean, part of me just wanna read this to you. Jesus is currently preparing a room for you. Meditate on that. Think about that. Visualize that in your mind that Jesus The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, through Him all things were created, and He is taking His time to build you a dwelling place with His Father, with our Father, a friend in the Father's house, like we can just... Maybe you've heard that so many times you don't actually consider what that means. And so Jesus is first, he says the first thing you need to do when you get troubled is you need to consider I Say that very specifically. If you were in the newcomer's class last week, you heard me talk about consider in the Latin root, found this right before my sister's memorial, after she had died in a bicycling Accident. God gave me this word, consider, and consider. That's Latin roots of the English word mean with con and sederis, heavenly body. With heavenly body, this is actually saying the thing we always say to one another: think about life now, the troubles you have now, the unsettledness of the world now, the unsettledness of your night now. You need to spend some time meditating upon visual life and these decisions and the next thing you do with your heavenly body in mind, your heavenly body, your resurrected body, living in the heavenly dwelling that Jesus is preparing for you right now, does that change the weight of this worry? I think it does. No matter what you're going through, some of us are going through some really hard things when we know that Jesus not only gave his life for us, but he's also preparing a place for us, worry loses some of its weight. It feels a little less heavy. Consider. Now, you might be thinking, From what I know about Jesus, (laughs) okay, okay, what kind of a place could he be building? Now, Before he started traveling, he only traveled for three years as an itinerant minister and preacher and teacher. You know what he did for the other years? Don't forget this. Jesus was a carpenter. This is going to be a nice place. It's going to be handcrafted. (laughs) It's going to be real nice. A lot of woodworking. I'm serious. I don't. I don't know if that. How much that plays into it, but it's kind of a cool detail. I mean, it's a good thing you just like a professional saxophonist or something. (laughs) Like he's preparing a place for you, and he did this most of his life. He was a a successful carpenter. Really nice. You can picture it when you picture it, picture lots of nice handmade woodworking, you know, really nice stuff, custom stuff. And not only that, you're gonna to be to all your other brothers and sisters in the faith to leave that room and go and worship and celebrate together and talk together. you're gonna to be a part of a great household. And that's important. I mean, I'm serious you need to do this visualization exercise. Like, you need to be visualizing this. Now, we can get to what that will be like. It will surprise us in ways we have... I mean, we're going to be so surprised. I mean, but we need to visualize it to a degree. And when we are, I just want to keep you away from some historic misvisualization. Okay, so you read it here. And if you grew up in a certain tradition or... Reading a certain translation of the Bible, you might be like, Wait, it says rooms? I was told it was mansions. <laughs> James uh, Version readers, KJV, KJV, they give you the mansions over there. <laughs> the problem is that's not <laughs> probably what Jesus meant. Because the right or the closer translation would be rooms, or actually, Mono-dwellings, mono-dwellings would actually be the literal translation. So I go to prepare for you a mono-dwelling, not a mansion. So when we picture this, we should probably picture what the people Jesus was talking to would have pictured. Houses in the day of Jesus had these dwelling units that were attached to sort of the original so, they would often be sort of combined with an extension of a house uh, that had been there. So, it's customary for sons, after they got married, to add to their father's house and move their family into this attached dwelling unit. And, and then, often, if you had many sons, go to a large, an isola. And it would usually go around this courtyard in the middle. So as the compound grew, you had this communal courtyard. So this probably would have been the image in the mind of, of Jesus' disciples or followers. Not because they maybe grew up with this sort of thing, but they've seen it, have they heard about it? And um, this sort of brought to mind this sort of luxurious Greco Roman um, replete with numerous buildings situated, think of shady gardens, abundance of trees, flowing water. So when Jesus' listeners are hearing. They might be thinking of the, of Herod had multiple palaces. He had one in Jerusalem, one in Tiberias, one in Jericho. And so they would have had this idea oh, this Jesus is going to build onto this sort of compound. And so even though it's not your own mansion, what you're picturing is this estate, which would have, the, for Jesus' followers, A vision of a heavenly living that far surpassed everything that they had enjoyed on earth. Even anything that they would have enjoyed as a ruler or a wealthy person of that day. So don't worry, even when I say it's probably ain't going to get your own mansion, it's going to be fun. But it's not going to be isolated. And that's the key. Because we need to be attached to the Father's house. Now, of course, if you don't want to be near the Father, this won't excite you very much. And you, mansion option, op- option is that an option? Well, maybe, but that mansion doesn't bring you close to the Father. So, do you want to be close to the Father? Do you want to see the Father and hear the Father? And this isn't an unimportant detail. Twelve times. Twelve times in this short passage. Did you see it? Father is used. Twelve times. Most, most, um, let's just read here verses 8 to 11. So Jesus has just said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Lord, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus said, guys. I have been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his work. Believe in me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. You just keep saying it. Otherwise, believe in the work. So, they've got a goal in mind. To see the Father, to hear from the Father, to do the work of the Father. And Jesus is saying, yes, and I and the Father are one. And where I'm going is to be the Father, and that's where you'll get to go. And so the Father being the end goal is the right way to think about it. The Father being God. To be with God, that should be all that matters. whether it's a mansion or a room. To be with the Father. And I'm going to show you the way to the Father, Jesus says. I am the Father invisible, form, Jesus says. And you'll get more of that in the place I'm preparing for you. And the reason I just want to bring this up is that we'll talk about this in a second. There can be a wrong way to visualize and think about heaven. It's just an escape from this earth. When you think about heaven, what you should be thinking about is to thinking about being with the Father. If all you're thinking about is the mansion or the pain-freeness or the trouble-freeness or the everlasting nature of this life, if that's all you're visualizing and thinking about, then you're not actually thinking about what Jesus is promising. And so there is a good not relieving you of the trouble that you're experiencing. Jesus can't help you if that's all you want. But if what you want is to be with the Father and near the Father and worship the Father and glorify the Son and experience the Spirit, if God is what you want, then God is what you'll get. So these rooms or ADUs or doodads that are attached to the Father's house is the best news for those of us who want to be with God. Amen? That's what we need to dwell on. And that's what we'll dwell in. The fullness of God. Now, one final matter with regard to these heavenly dwellings. Because there may be some of you who are like, Dave, you talk about heaven so much. Just stop. (laughs) I've got some bad news for you. Let's look at how Jesus says this. It's very interesting how he says this. Okay. Father's house are many rooms, verse 2. If not, I would have told you. Another translation can be written this way. There's many rooms... Why would I have told you about it so often if it weren't true? That's what he's saying. You notice he doesn't make a statement. He says it as a question. And so he says, if I'm going to prepare a place for you, if I'm there, I'll come and get you myself. So Jesus is saying, basically, guys, if this weren't true, why would I have talked about it so much? So this isn't the first time he's talked about this. He's clearly been telling them and he's like, guys, why would I have continually told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you and that I'm going to come and bring you if it weren't true, which means Jesus talked about this a lot. And it's a good reminder for us because there's always pendulum swings in Christianity, right? And some of us might come out of kind of sort of a season or a chapter of Christianity where it felt like all we ever talked about was heaven, and the gospel was just fire insurance, and the only church is to ensure that we go to the right place and not the wrong place, and so I get that, and so we maybe swing the pendulum back, and we say, we should not really talk so much about sort of those eternal rewards, we should just focus on when Jesus prayed. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and we should talk about the present realities of the gospel and how Jesus changes our life now, and that's all true, and that's all good, and we should talk about that. There should be balance, the but also the now. So we need a balance, but sometimes we've swung the pendulum so far that we've stopped talking about heaven, and then people are like, "Why are you so serious about this?" Why do you care so much? Why are you inviting me to Alpha? Why? <laughs> like, and you're like, did you not hear about the rooms? <laughs> They're like, no, the, no, Jesus is preparing a place for you if you want one. So I bring this up to say, Jesus clearly is talking about it so much that he's like, guys, you think I would have just lied to you? All the times I told you about heaven? about the place for you. I wouldn't have told you that if it weren't actually true. It's funny how he says it. So we need a balance. But it's really good, it's really good to talk about heaven, to think about heaven, to visualize heaven, to consider heaven in everything that we do. Because it's a true promise of our God and our King our Redeemer, and our Savior. It's the end of his plan. He doesn't just want to remove the guilt and the shame. He wants to give you a forever dwelling in his Father's house. That's a message worth dying for. Second promise. The promise of, okay, well then how do we get there? Look at verse five. Lord, Thomas said. And if you don't know who Thomas is, Thomas, but he's the one that doesn't believe Jesus has risen from the dead, Even though all of these other people have seen Jesus and touched Jesus and ate with Jesus. He says, "I got to see Jesus for myself. I got the nail holes in his hands, the scars in his hands. I got before I believe." And so Jesus reveals himself. Thomas and he believes, and so Thomas has this great knack for asking the next hard question. If that's you in the room, welcome. You are welcome here. Thomas is welcomed by Jesus. It's okay to say, God, give more. Give me some more evidence. Give me some more answers. More clarity. My mind is unsettled. Settle my mind. So Jesus does. I love that. So Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way. And you can add I am to each of these. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father or the Father's house or the Father's doodads except through me. It's very clear. There's no other way to the Father. Now, if you want something else, perhaps. But if you want the Father and you want what he's promised and what he is about and what he has shown, then this is the way, I am, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you also know my Father. From now on, you do know me, know him, and you have seen him. I love that. And there's so, you cannot exhaust the could preach on the way, the truth, and the life. If you're at Alpha, uh, I mean, night one talks about the way, the truth, and the life. So I'm going to talk about a slightly different angle, but there's so much you can say. One of the things I like about thinking about the way, the truth, and the life, how they're, connect- they're all connected, it's all the same, it's all Jesus, but you could think of sort of the way as a declaration of the mode. You could talk about the as the declaration of reality, and you could talk about life as the declaration of source, okay, so the way, the truth, and life, the mode, the reality, the source. Jesus is all of it. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So let's break these down. The way. Now this would have been, the truth and the life almost, it's it's probably best to, Jesus is really wanting to say, I am the way, because they're asking, what's the way? And he's saying, I am the way. And I am the way because I am the truth and because I am the life. The way leads to the life and the way is a true way. And but it's all, the way is connected. So, um, spend a little extra time on the way here. But the way you could is access. Okay, the way is how, so uh, Thomas is asking, how do we have access to this future that you've described? And Jesus says, I am the access. I give you access. Access is granted through me. Remember our picture from a couple of weeks ago. The narrow path that leads to the mountain of God, the wide path that leads to the epic pass. Remember that sermon? If you don't, but ask somebody. Okay, so He is the way. He He is the one who navigate those mountain passes. He is the access to it. So we can see this same idea in Hebrews nine eight. So Hebrews is another letter written uh, in the, by an apostle in the early church not sure which one. And the writer of Hebrews says this. He says The Holy Spirit was making it clear that the way, same word, into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle, tabernacle was still standing. So what he's saying here is, in the Old Testament, the true way into the holiest place, into the presence of God, had not yet been disclosed until Jesus came, and now the way was with us. The access was with us. Hebrews 10, 19-21 says something similar. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living The way. A living way through the curtain. So in the temple, there was this curtain that separated... The holy place from the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was once a year the high priest could go in to offer the sin of atonement for all the people of Israel. But nobody else could go, else they would die. And Hebrews is all about how through the blood of Jesus now everyone who is, is receiving the blood of Jesus for the removal of their guilt and, and sin and experiences the forgiveness, they now have access to that Holy of Holies, beyond the curtain. When Jesus was crucified and rose again, the the curtain was torn, Scripture tells us. And now we all have access through the blood of Jesus. That is access to the Holy of Holies, to the presence of God, to true communion with God. That is what Jesus had won for us on the cross and gifted to us. And so, um, He inaugurated this for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So access is granted because Jesus is the way. So I like thinking about the way as access. You will have no access except through Jesus. This very clearly points to again and again. Now, I think it's say that Jesus being the way grants us access not just to the Holy of Holies, though that's the main thing, but the Holy of Holies sort of now permeates through the rest of our life access to things and experiences and places that we would have had no no way at any other time without him. So This will include sort of experiences of life now, experiences of happiness now, experiences of joy now, experiences of friendship now, experiences of redemption and restoration that we thought were not possible, that we said there's no way, and now we have access to. So you think about a marriage that feels like there's no way this marriage will surprise Anybody that looks, marriage counselor looks at it, you get 100 marriage counselors, they all interview these people, they all say, is there a way and 99% of the marriage counselors say, there's no friggin' way. Jesus will stand up and he'll say, he's the 1%, by the way. He'll say, I'm the way. <laughs> there is a way. There is access to a future for this marriage that, yes, you could not see because you have no access to it in earthly terms, but you have access to it in heavenly terms through me. And I've seen that happen I've watched that happen where honestly I looked at it and I said there's no way there's just no way that's not gonna work out and God did something Jesus did something because those two individuals both in the marriage surrendered to him and said God we've got no answers we've got no way we don't our mind is unsettled we want you to take it. And those couples are still together He's the one percent. Situation after situation. Story after story. You can probably tell your own testimony if you have surrendered to Jesus when you said there's no friggin' way and you said, God, if, if there is a way, I'll follow you. And he's made a way. Each of us has that story in our own unique way. That's the story you tell when you tell your testimony. There is a way. You do have access to things that you would not have access to without Jesus. Um, I love the book, you know this, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis. And it's a kid book, but it's not a kid book. Um, And sort of, the main character is God, if you didn't know that. But the literary main character are a group of siblings, and the youngest sibling Finds her way to this wardrobe. So, the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the wardrobe takes you to, gives you access to this other world. And um, I love this as sort of a metaphor for what Jesus can be. Now, don't get me wrong, there's another Jesus character in the story. Spoiler alert, it's a lion. So the so the wardrobe is not Jesus, but I like this as a metaphor because Lucy's able to find the wardrobe and she goes in and this other world. Then she comes back, and her older siblings do not believe her that she's traveled to the world, that she's had access to this other kind of life and living and beauty and, and wonder. They say you're just making up stories again, Lucy. They just can't believe that there is something more to life than this. You struggle with that? I mean, that's night one of Alpha. Is there more to life than this? And a lot of us have come to realize, I think this is why the no ways are easier now than ever. We kind of feel like the curtain's been pulled back and the answer is no. There isn't more to life than this. This is as good as it gets. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And we've bought that. We believe that to be true. We cannot conceive of a world that is greater than this and so we just sort of give up. (laughs) Lots of times it's a younger sibling that comes in and says, no, there is more to life than this. There is an access available. Come and see. And eventually, her siblings come and see. Maybe you're the Lucy, maybe you've experienced access to things you never thought were possible, and you're trying to get your real siblings or your friends to come and see. We have access to things we you could never believe in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the presence of Jesus through the Spirit. There are things beyond this world. There is more to life than this. Jesus says, "I am the way." I can give you access. Will you come and see? So that's the way. Then he says, I'm the truth. I am the truth. Okay, what does he mean by this? Well, we said truth is like full reality. And only in Jesus can we live in full reality. Like we cannot survive this world without Jesus, We have to live in some sort of half-reality or half-truth, which is the way it is. Um, it's a survivalism, so it's nothing against you. It's just like without, what, if you are not in Jesus, if the way hasn't granted you access to live in the full reality of the world, you will have to live in reality just to survive. So for instance, if I'm being honest with the mess I've made, my life, with the choices I've made, with the people I've hurt, with the things that I've done, I realize that there's no cleaning it up or returning to what I once was on my own. Like, that's the full reality. So I have to live in a half reality, either by saying, maybe there is no right and wrong. Maybe I haven't made a bad mistake. Maybe I haven't hurt people, manipulated people. Just too hard to live in that reality knowing that I can't undo what I've done. So I have to live in half reality in order to survive. Just a little fun illustration of this. So at Alpha, um, we looked at the tablecloths that we had, and there are so many stains. These are white tablecloths. I think it's because of the women's ministry, because they are filthy. (laughs) Because they use them over here to just joke. I mean, it's like. For uh, five years, we've been using these white tablecloths at Alpha. We try to wash them. We try to bleach them. We even sent them home with some silver-haired saints that are really good at washing things. And they can't get the stains out. The stains are... We cannot get them out. So this year, we said, you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. So we ordered some black (laughs) tablecloths. This is what you do with your life. You're like, I can't wash this... I can't get this off. I can't remove, undo the mask. I can't undo the hurt. So I'm just going to get a different tablecloth. Now the reality is, after a few years of using these, these tablecloths will be just as dirty as the white ones. But nobody will know. Black is the great half-truth of tablecloths. <laughs> I can't live in the light. The light reveals too much, so I'm going to go live in the darkness. Because in the darkness, who knows? Just as dirty, but I have to live in the half light or the no light in order to survive. It's just too weighty. However, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it was foretold in Isaiah, Isaiah 1.18, says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, through your sin, though, your sins, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become white like wool. This was foretold because of the suffering servant, the Savior. This was foretold hundreds of years before Jesus came. A letter written by the same author of this says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we fellowship with one another and the Lord Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered life to God, how much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So it is only in Christ that both truths are full truth. Otherwise, we have to live in the darkness. Otherwise, we have to live in the half-truth. But because of Jesus and his sacrifice, because the truth became dwelt among us, lived the perfect life that we didn't died the death that we should have died to pay the penalty for our sin, that we can be washed white as snow. And now, even though we have made a mess of our life, even though we have sinned, rebelled, from God, hurt other people, hurt ourselves, made whole again by Christ, and now can live in the light with Christ. So this is the full truth. So, I'm righteous, but Christ is righteous, and His righteousness covers me. So the full truth is that I am a sinner saved by grace. The full truth is that I am a rebel adopted in love. The full truth is that I was an enemy turned friend of God by the cross. The full truth is that I was a thief stealing from God and I'm pardoned by mercy and given the inheritance of the Son. That's the full truth. And it's only, it's only capable of living in this world by Jesus. Jesus gives us access to the full truth. Now you have a choice. You live the half-truth the black tablecloth, or you can be the full truth of the white tablecloth—a sinner redeemed by grace, a thief, inheritance of the son. What will it be? That's what Jesus is saying. That is the full gospel, which is God's honest truth—the full reality that is only possible because of the acts granted to us by Jesus through His death resurrection, and the sending of the Spirit. In His presence, we can live our full reality. He's the truth. Okay. The life. The life. The gospel is not just about forgiveness of sins, though. It's is really important. The gospel is good news because it says that because of the forgiveness of sin, the washing by the blood of Jesus... Because of that, we now have access to life that is the full presence of God. So don't, you've got to be careful sometimes because sometimes we talk so much about death and forgiveness that we think the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for us. No, no, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we can have life and life new. That's the whole gospel. So life is a part of it end goal of of what Jesus has done. Forgiveness of sin is just the middle chapter leading to the full life Jesus is preparing for us. And we we can't miss this. This new life is is the resurrection life of Jesus that now we are granted to have access to because of Jesus' resurrection. So life is the end. So when we preach the gospel, we're preaching life. 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 C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Great Divorce, which is sort of heaven and, and hell and whatever, the gray city. And, and so people visit heaven and the grass, like, real. And your feet only can handle it if you've been redeemed by Jesus. I mean, but, it, but it, it's not, I mean, it's like dangerous reality. Like, real life is dangerous. It's, it's actually weightier and fuller and more colorful than you can but you can't handle it if you don't have feet for it. So I think this is why Jesus allows us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and he says, I'll walk with you through it, but the walk of death will give you the calluses you need to walk in the real life of eternity. So you need to go through that and know that I'm with you and let me transform you so that you can handle the real life, the full life, the resurrected body. But we're not there yet, which is why he lets us walk. Through the valley of the shadow of death before we begin to climb the mountain of God, because we need feet for the journey, and he will give us those feet if we let him. He's the life. He has a life for us plan that you wouldn't believe. Jesus proved that he is the incarnation of true life, a life so death could not hold. It. That is why we are ultimately the people of the resurrection, the people of life, not death, but the people of life. Because we're the people of the resurrection. Because we hold dear and close to us the necessity of the cross. Yes, we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. We have to walk the forgiveness of Christ. But it's to get to the life of resurrection, the light of the resurrection, the snow of the resurrection. The fullness of God's promises to us. They will burst forth one day. It will be a glorious day. It will burst forth like it burst forth on that very first Easter. And we too will have full atonement for our sins and full communion with our God. And Jesus is preparing a place for us in that space. The way leads to life. The truth leads to life. Jesus is life. Let's pray.